the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. If the father is not going to church regularly with his family and leading his family in in worshiping Jesus, the children, when they grow up, listen, 2% of them will go to church when they grow up. Dads, your role spiritually as the leader of your family is huge. It's huge. That's why God calls men and dads to lead your family. As Pastor Dan will explain in today's message, the statistics show that dads play a massive role in the faith of their families. In John chapter 4, we encounter a father who took the steps to bring physical healing for his son. He loved him dearly, and he stepped out in faith to seek Jesus' help. In our families, all of us are suffering from the terminal spiritual illness of sin. God can work in the absence of a father or despite them, but he designed men to be leaders in the home, and their influence has a long-lasting deep impact. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of John chapter 4 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. coming to Jesus saying, I've got a problem. Fix it. Instead of saying, I've got sin. Forgive it. Cleanse me. Change me. Transform me. Renew me. Give me the power by your spirit to live a life that is right in your eyes. They're not interested in that. They're just interested in the blessing part of it. They're not interested in Jesus being their Lord, being their Savior, being their King. And what's remarkable to me in this passage about Jesus here is that Jesus uh, went to these people in Galilee knowing that that was their attitude toward him. I don't know about you, but I suspect you're like me. If I know someone is just trying to use me and has no interest in a relationship with me, they're just trying to use me to get something from me that I have or to get me to do something for them that they want, I don't want to have anything to do with that person. I'm going to try to avoid that person because they're just a user. But Jesus is not, he's not like me. <laughs> he goes back to the Galilee, knowing that they're just looking for a miracle worker and not a savior. Now look at verse 46. Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. That's where he performed his first miracle back in chapter 2, the first sign that showed that he's the Christ, the Son of God. Cana was about 10 miles from Nazareth. Now look what happens. And there at Cana, there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick 
at Capernaum. I love all these references to geography here. So Jesus is in Cana. As he's in Cana, a certain nobleman, we're not told his name, whose son was sick at Capernaum. This nobleman comes to Jesus. Now, this word nobleman here of your note taker, it's the Greek word basilikos, basilikos. You've heard of a basilica before. Basilica is a large church, right? Uh, Down in Baltimore, there's the Baltimore Basilica. It's the oldest cathedral in the United States. In Jesus's day, a basilica was a Roman government building. Before the church, a basilica was a Roman government building. It's like a courthouse or the, you know, the, the county government building. It was a Roman government building uh, in, in a town or for a region. The nobleman is a basilicos, which means he was a Roman government official who worked for the Roman government, who worked for the king. Uh, and if you have the NIV, he's described as a royal official. Uh, the New Living Translation calls him a government official. This nobleman was a government official for Rome, who worked for the king. And the king at this time would be King Ant- uh, Herod Antipas. Uh, Herod Antipas was this, one of the sons of Herod the Great. Remember, Herod the Great is the one who killed the babies in Bethlehem uh, when the wise men came. Uh, he is the son of Herod the Great. Interestingly, his mom was a Samaritan. Uh, and uh, Herod Antipas is the one who ordered the beheading of John the Baptist. This nobleman is a Roman. He's not a Jew. He's a Roman. He's a Gentile. He is the enemy of the Jewish people. And yet his son is sick. We read later his son is sick with a fever. His son is near death. Uh, They didn't have children's Tylenol back then. Uh, And this guy, his son is dying. uh, And he is desperate for his child as any parent would be. Somehow he's heard about Jesus, this this Jewish miracle worker. Uh, And when you're desperate, especially for your children and you're out of options, uh, you'll try anything to save your child. Now, some commentators believe that uh, because he was a a royal official, a Roman official, uh, that he he lived in the city of Tiberias there on the Galilee because Tiberias was the capital, the Roman capital of the Galilee and that he didn't actually live in Capernaum but that he took his sick son the five miles from Tiberias to Capernaum because that's where Jesus lived. Jesus lived in Capernaum with his disciples. But when he arrived in Capernaum, Jesus wasn't there. Uh, Somehow this nobleman, this Roman official, learned that Jesus was in Cana. Uh, Cana was about 20 miles from Capernaum, all uphill in the snow. No, not in the snow, but it was all uphill for 20 miles. Uh, You know, Uh, Capernaum is 600 feet below sea level. Cana is 1,500 feet above sea level. And so it's it's very steep. It's a very steep walk, or if he's riding on a horse, we don't know. Uh, But it's it's a very uphill journey, very long, difficult journey from Capernaum up to Cana. And so this, this nobleman, he left his sick child in Capernaum with some of his servants and he made that 20-mile journey up to Cana. Now, how gut-wrenching was that? To leave your son behind, who's near death. And you're out of options now. But to have to make the decision that I'm gonna, I'm, I have to leave my dying son with my servants. Leave his bedside. 
And I'm going to make this 20 mile journey because I've heard about this guy named Jesus. And he's got no guarantee that Jesus is still going to be there when he gets there. He can't call ahead. He can't call Jesus and, and explain his situation and just ask Jesus to come down to Capernaum. He doesn't know that Jesus is still going to be in that town when he gets there. He has no guarantee that Jesus will come with him back to Capernaum. It could be a totally wasted trip. His son could die on the way to Cana or back to Capernaum. It's a lot of risk involved here. I'm sure it's a very difficult uh, situation, very difficult decision for this father. I find it interesting that uh, he felt like he himself should go in person to Cana to try to persuade Jesus to come back, that he, he couldn't trust his servants to do that, that he needed to go himself, uh, which I think is just an indication of how desperate the situation was. He was not going to accept no for an answer from Jesus. Verse 47 tells us uh, the, the nobleman went to Jesus and begged him to come down to Capernaum and heal his son, he says, for he was at the point of death. He's about to die. And just for you note takers, notice that he says, come down to Capernaum. You know, the, the ge- geography is correct here in the Bible. You would go down from Cana to Capernaum. Now look at verse 48. <clears throat> Jesus said to him, to the nobleman, but when he says, he says to all of the crowd that's gathered there, unless you people, so he's not really talking to this guy, this Roman, he's talking to the crowd, the Jews there in Cana, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. They're just, they're just following Jesus for the miracles, not because of who he is. And here this guy comes, and he needs a miracle. And the crowd is thinking, all right, here we go. He's going to work a miracle. And they're all excited. Let's see what he does. See if he heals a Roman's kid. And Jesus, you know, kind of bluntly rebukes the crowd and says, you, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. And, and I, don't, I don't personally believe that he's saying this so much to that Roman official. Uh, the Roman official, he's a Roman. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't know what's going on here. So the Roman official in verse 49 said to Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. You know, it's almost as if he's like, hey, I, I, I don't know what you've you got going on with all these people here or what you're addressing. You've ever been in that situation where you can tell that somebody is addressing something uh, and you're not really sure what's going on, but you can tell something's being said. You ever been in that situation? I've been in a church service where it was clear that a pastor was rebuking his congregation for something. We were just visiting for the day. We were on vacation kind of thing. And it was like, man, something's going on here. And he is laying it on him thick, right? So, you know, for him, maybe that's kind of what it's like. Like, I don't don't know what you got going on with these people here, but could you come before my child dies? And I want, if you're a note taker here, the word that he uses here for my child, uh, that is a a very, uh, in the Greek, it's a very tender word. It's, It's a term of affection that a parent would use for their child. Will you come before my little boy dies? It's kind of the idea here. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, go your way. Your son lives. And that's not just wishful thinking. He's not saying, I'm sure he'll get better. It's a command. You know, Jesus is speaking with power and authority here. You know, your son lives. Go your way. Your son lives. And so the man, it says, believed. Notice the word that Jesus spoke to him. And he went his way. He believed his word. We'll return to today's edition of Ring of Truth 
with Pastor Dan Sexton in a moment. But first, Pastor Dan would like to extend a special invitation to our listeners. If you've enjoyed the messages on Ring of Truth, I'd like to personally invite you to join us this Sunday at Calvary Chapel. We're located in Columbia, Maryland, just five minutes from Routes 29, 95, and 100. I'd love for you to come be part of our time of worship and Bible study this weekend at 9 or 11 a.m. I always enjoy meeting listeners of Ring of Truth, so please be sure to introduce yourself to me after church. To find out more information and to get directions, visit our website at calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. That website again is calvaryec.com. We look forward to seeing you. Now, back to today's message. He didn't argue with Jesus. He, he made that journey all the way up there in person to bring Jesus back to Capernaum. And here now Jesus says, go your way. Your son lives. And, and I don't know if there was something that the Holy Spirit did in this guy's heart or the way that Jesus said that and the authority in Jesus's word. He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't insist that Jesus come with him back to Capernaum. He didn't say, I'm not leaving unless you go with me. He just when he, he simply believed the words of Jesus, just like the Samaritans believed the words of Jesus. So the Samaritans, they believed the word of Jesus. This Roman, he believed the words of Jesus. He didn't need to see a miracle to believe Jesus. He, he, he believed that Jesus had the power and the authority to heal his son. And he didn't need to see the miracle to convince him. And he's a Roman. He's a Roman. He's not a Jew. He's a Roman. The Samaritans and the Roman, this Roman Gentile official, they honored Jesus for who he is. They honored Jesus for who he is. That, you know, that he's God incarnate. And he has the power over life and death. And they're, and listen, it's, a, it's Samaritans. It's a Roman that's getting it. And the people who should be getting it aren't getting it. This Roman and the Samaritans earlier in the chapter, they are an indictment against the Jews who did not honor Jesus for who he is. Romans and Samaritans are getting it. Now look at verse 51. And as he was now going down, right? He's going from that higher elevation to the lower elevation from Cana down to Capernaum. As he's going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. That's exactly what Jesus said. So the servants who are down in Capernaum, they're so thrilled at this miraculous recovery. I mean, remember, he's at the point of death. He's got a fever. Even if you have a fever and you're not at the point of death, it usually takes you a couple days to recover from it, get your full strength back, right? Well, here he's at the point of death. Jesus, you know, speaks a word 20 miles away. And this kid is miraculously healed, miraculously recovers fully from near death. Uh, and the servants are so thrilled they can't wait for their master to return. And they couldn't text him, right? And say, your son lives and put the little, you know, clapping hand emoji or something like that. So they got to go and they go. And they went to find him. And they meet him on the road somewhere between Cana and Capernaum. And they told him about the miracle. And they said, your son lives. And I'm sure that he thought, that's, that's the same words that Jesus used. I think your son's better. Your son's well. Your son lives. And I think about this story whenever we have the opportunity to pray for someone uh, who is sick and we pray for healing. You know, distance is no barrier for God. 
Jesus, Jesus, we're told, is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us in heaven. And, and he has the power and authority. And he can just speak a word from heaven and command someone to be healed. He doesn't have to be there. I think about that every time we pray. He has the power and authority to speak from heaven and heal someone. Now watch what happens in verse 52. This is such an interesting little twist here at the end of the story. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. I think he's struck by the fact that they said, your son lives, same words that Jesus said, kind of an unusual thing to say about someone who's healed from a fever. Your son lives. I think he's so struck by it now. Now he says, tell me, what time was he healed? He's curious. I just want to know, right? What time was he healed? He inquired of them the hour when he got better, and they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Remember Jesus met with the woman at the well at the sixth hour? That's noon. Seventh hour is one o'clock in the afternoon. Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, Jesus said, go your way. Your son lives. And why do I point that out? Yesterday, the guy had plenty of time to get back to Capernaum. He didn't go. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't go. He goes all the way up to Cana, finds Jesus. Jesus says, go your way. Your son lives. And it's one o'clock in the afternoon. And he doesn't race back to Capernaum to see if what Jesus said is true, to see if Jesus really did heal him. He waited. He waited until the next day to return to Capernaum, which I think just shows this guy really believed Jesus. There's no reason to race back. There's no reason to rush back to Capernaum. He really believed the words of Jesus. So much so, he stays in Cana for the day, goes back the next day. There's no hurry here. Because he knows that Jesus has the power and the authority to heal his son. And if Jesus said he lives well, then he's alive. I don't have any reason to rush now. And I'll just, you know, do some Christmas shopping here in Cana and head back tomorrow. And that's what he does. Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Now look what it says. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives and he himself believed and his whole household. So he himself believed and his whole household believed. Now, now this man had some belief in Jesus before this. That's why he goes to Cana. He had some faith in Jesus. But what we see here now is that uh, his belief is more full. It's more complete uh, than it was before. You know, he's got a deeper faith in Jesus Christ now than before. And he himself believed. And then his whole household, his family followed in his belief. Now, fathers, I want to share some statistics with you. If a child is the first one in a family to come to faith in Jesus Christ, the rest of the family will follow 3.5% of the time. If the child, one of the children, is the first one to come to faith in Christ, become a Christian, The rest of the family statistically will follow in the faith 3.5% of the time. If a mother in a household is the first one to come to faith in Jesus Christ, 
The rest of the family will follow 17% of the time. If a dad comes to faith in Jesus Christ first in his family, the rest of the family will follow statistically 93% of the time. If the father, listen, if the father is the one who is leading and taking the family to church, when those children grow up, 75% of them will continue to go to church regularly. If the father is not going to church regularly with his family and leading his family and in, in worshiping Jesus, the children, when they grow up, listen, 2% of them will go to church when they grow up. Dads, your role spiritually as the leader of your family is huge. It's huge. That's why God calls men and dads to lead your family in following Christ. It's huge when you drag your family out of bed and get them here to church every Sunday. It is huge. It has a huge impact. If you're the one honoring Jesus Christ in your family, be the point man. Be the point man in your family. Be the leader spiritually in your family. It will impact your family for all eternity. Don't neglect that responsibility. Don't neglect that calling upon you as a man and as a husband and as a father. We see here with this nobleman, he has faith in Jesus Christ. He believes and then his whole household follows him in faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 54 says, this again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. This sign points to Jesus's identity as the Christ, as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world. And as we close, looking at this passage, the question that we should ask each of ourselves, we should ask ourselves is, do I honor Jesus? Am I honoring him? Or am I just receiving him? Am I, am, I just, am I just here because I want Jesus to do things for me? Because I want him to bless me. I want him to answer my prayers. I want him to do good things. I want my life to be good. Or do I honor him as the Christ and as the Savior of the world? Do I honor him for who he is? My personal Savior. He asked me how I Thanks for joining Pastor Dan Sexton today to study the book of 1 John on Ring of Truth. This New Testament letter encourages its readers to grow in faith, to set aside personal agendas, and unite in a pursuit of God's plans. The author wants those who follow Christ to experience Him fully, as well as experience the beautiful gift of a church community. Having a body of believers around you to support and encourage you in your personal walk with Christ is important. You'll also find that a body of believers is somewhere you can be Jesus' hands and feet to others. Are you part of a church? If not, we want to encourage you to find one soon. If you're in the Baltimore, Washington area, you're invited to join us here at Calvary Chapel. We're located in Columbia, Maryland, just a few minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. 
You can find out more at our website, calvaryec.com. You can also give us a call for more information. Our phone number is 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We're honored to be able to share God's Word with you through each edition of Ring of Truth. If you'd like to listen to additional teachings from this series, you'll find them at calvaryec.com. That's all for now. Join us next time for more on Ring of Truth. I recognize